Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Mammoth Electronics. They are now selling Keeley modded pedals. You remember back in the day before the boutique world became oversaturated with everything? Uh, if you really wanted something to sound great, you just went to robertkeeley.com and said, Hey, didn't can, he, I, can did, I send you my DS1? Didn't he start out on eBay or something like that? I don't even know. I think he started out on eBay like selling modded pedals through there, and then people started sending them directly to him. So you send them to him, and they would do the mod. And then Keeley blew up, and they're like, ain't got time for this no more. Well, that was like a year and a half ago. Those mods are back, and they're being done by Mammoth Electronics, who are founded by former Keeley employees. So the guys who are doing the mods now are the same ones who were doing them back then. Yeah, exactly. It's a pretty good setup, a pretty good deal. Uh, we've got a pile of pedals in that I'm going to have demos up for. I've already got the DS1 up. I think I'm going to tackle the Rat next. It Very might already, cool. There might already be more demos up by now. So check out our YouTube channel. Go give them a listen. Give them a watch. Uh, they're fun. I did a cute little cartoon at the beginning of them. So go please indulge yourself in my efforts. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by Sinusoid Cables. Sinusoid. Sinusoid Cables. They're your best friend. They make cables and smiles. What? <laughs> they make cables and smiles, Steve. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they've got their, uh, their little signature uh, uh, sliver cables back in stock. Go order them while they've got them because those things go quick. Uh, what else do we have to say about Sinusoid? We love those guys. They're so cool. 100-year warranty. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, they're great. They sent us some XLR cables. Yeah. They're not the ones we're using right now. That's why this sounds so bad. <laughs> but I've got, them, I've got them up in my uh, in my recording area where I do the demos, and it's been really great having a consistent set of cables that I know are just going to work. And I can like see where they begin and end and like, oh, here's my sinusoid cables. They have the little sleeve on it, the sinusoid and everything. Uh, and I've been using all their guitar cables for all my demos. So have you ever heard my guitar cables fail in a demo? No. You never have once, have you? Thanks that that's thanks to sinusoid. Hey, Steve. This is Ryan. Hey, Ryan. This is Steve. How are you doing, man? I'm good. What do you, you know what these people are listening to right now? They're listening to 60 Cycle Hum. The guitar buying. Selling. Trading. Modding. Fixing. Breaking. Reviewing. Playing. Podcast. That was pretty cool. That was pretty slick, right? Yeah. We didn't plan that at all. It just came to us. Yeah. You know, the fact that you mentioned that it wasn't planned makes it sound like it was planned. We're, cre we're creative but guys. Legitimately, we, just, we never plan our intros. We just pulled that out of our pockets right here, right now. Uh, expect to hear this ripped off on various other podcasts for uh, the rest of time. Jerks. Because we are tastemakers. Right, Steve? Delicious. <laughs> we're delicious. <laughs> uh, so, what, so what's new, Ryan? Uh, what's new? What's new? Oh, I just showed you the uh, the Boss Katana. Yeah, that uh, that amp is r way more compact than I expected. Yeah, it's small. It's legitimately like practice, practice amp size. Yeah, uh, but it sounds great. It gets plenty loud. Uh, we cranked that thing up. So Yeah, we, we uh, gave my wife and kid a little heart attack when I turned it all the way up. Like all the way up, and it it shook the room a little bit. I'd say. 
I mean, 50, 50 watts of power, uh, solid state, that's equivalent to like three tube watts, I think. <laughs> it doesn't, it sounds like a lot more than three tube watts. I'll maybe, say that. Maybe three and a half. What I, what I need to do. I'm just kidding. Is I need to AB it against my, uh, my PV Classic 50 and dime them both, even though it won't oh. be fair because one is pushing four tens. So it'll just be moving more air. Can you unplug the PV and put plug it into one of your into like your WGS cab that yeah. should handle it? Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, that'd be cool. I really need to get a, a decibel reader. What over you here. need to do is plug the uh, the boss. Does it have a speaker out? No. Oh, it's it hard. Doesn't. Is it hardwired? It's hardwired. Oh, I was gonna say if it, if you had a. If you could swap the speaker on it, like just via cables, you should run the yeah. katana. There's some people because there's all sorts of chatter online about you know trying to put different speakers in and try different speakers with it and mm-hmm. kick speaker outs. There's some chatter where people are like you wouldn't want to swap the speaker on this because this specific speaker is probably designed to go with a you know a digital uh, amp kind of signal, and I don't know how true that, that is. I don't. That doesn't make sense. Right, like it's meant to handle a wider range of frequencies or something oh, like that. Oh, maybe. So if you got went crazy with it and were like, oh, I just want this to be like a clean headroom machine that can handle intense lows, you know, I, maybe I, another speaker wouldn't be able to handle it. I guess, but... And then also, here's I, here's my thought. If, say I, run, I drop a, uh, you know, a Ch- Celestian Blue in there, now it will always sound like an amp with a Celestian Blue. Sure. It loses like that chameleon effect where yeah, I can so, make it so sound I could like see other the, things. I could see the argument being made that that the speaker, because I know a lot of guys say like that the speaker basically needs to be conditioned. It needs to be broken in. It needs to be broken in. Broken. <laughs> so basically you need to plug your iTunes into, uh, oh my gosh. into your amp and then leave the house for the weekend. And my neighbors will love that. Turn it all the way up. Um, no, but the the I okay. I I guess I can I can buy in on the idea that it's a has a wider frequency response. Like it would be more of a PA style sure. speaker. Maybe not as uh, voiced as another speaker would be. But the idea that that has anything to do with the amp being digital, like well, I think the idea is that weird. like you're just the amp is is made to sound like so many different things. Where like you put a speaker into with your Fender, you know whatever, and it's like it's gonna sound like your Fender running into that speaker. It's always gonna sound like the Fender. Yeah. Like this amp is meant to sound like a few different things. So you I have guess. a speaker that has. It might not right. be it's a, a better it's a, speaker compared to you know whatever you'd put in like your favorite classic tube speaker. Right. Tube, tube it's a neutral speaker. Right. Right. It's probably like maybe more similar to the uh, the type of speaker you would find. And like a bass or an acoustic amp. Yeah. That being it's said, probably that, just, that amp is so lightweight. Oh, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure it's you know it's it's solid state front end. It's it's probably class D power. So it's like with class D, I there I won't say there isn't a transformer because it's still I think I yeah. forget what it's called like switch mode transformer. I think is what it's called. But basically, what it means is that there, there's not like a traditional 
brick transformer yeah, inside yeah. of it, so it's ultra lightweight. I've always thought of like stereo rigs as like an ungeggable rig for right. me. You could you could stereo a, a pair of katanas. Yeah, or like I could take my Princeton and be like, oh, I want to run stereo for this gig, mm-hmm. and just throw the katana in the trunk and be like, it's so light, I don't have to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, but you want to do that with like the AC-15. No way, absolutely not. That thing weighs like, I think, probably 50, 55 pounds. It's crazy heavy. It's, it's a, crazy it's heavy. It's about the same weight as... It felt like about the same weight as the hot rod deluxe I yeah. had. Oh, I got I got some uh, update from Sweetwater on that Vox mini amp head that is on order. Oh, yeah? They're not going to be in stock until May. So when it comes in, then I'll start doing shootouts between it and the AC-15. Um, as continuing- that means that AC-15 is going to sit in your inventory for longer than 90 days. No, I'm only losing money on it if it sits in there for more than 90 days. That's how retail works. That's the rules. <laughs> Oh man, uh, yeah. I've, I don't have anything else to say about the katana. I'm gonna be keep doing coverage on it on YouTube because it gets lots of views, and then I get you know five or ten bucks. Yeah, <laughs> here and there. From it. Yeah, uh, but it's also a lot of fun. I actually am kind of in love with the amp a little bit, so it's neat that there's kind of like a fan club scene around it out there yeah and people are excited about it um i want to talk about this week uh the wheel of pedals yeah it's gone a little dead on us we it's gone a lot dead on us it was already going dead and then we changed the rules on it to be like minimum hundred dollar use value and you completely killed it i think it became too intimidating i think it might have sucked some of the fun out of it Let's use this week in this episode to see if we can kickstart it again on the current rules. Yeah, so so basically the rule right now is... Um, it has that, to have a proven like used value of at least $100. Right, or uh, what did we say? If it, there isn't one, the new value has to be at least $150 if there's no like market history. Sure, sure. Like used market history. Because most pedals aren't going to lose, you know, like that much of a right of and a it can't value. be like well i bought this kit that was 150 dollars and no i put kits. it together like yeah, no kits it needs to be something like that you can find in in some kind of retail store yeah yeah um not, not necessarily like brick and mortar but yeah you if know, you can find them on coast sonic or you know any of those things or so you know a lot of guys a lot of builders sell direct through reverb if you can find provenance on reverb that works you yeah know? so right now on the wheel we have three pedals that are um that fit that that criteria um and one two three four five okay three seven pedals duh right uh that we are supplementing with either strings or cables all of them. All a, of them are going to get TC pedals. With a them. shirt. Oh yeah, they come with those TC electronic pedals uh-huh. from the Smorgasbord of Tone series. Yeah. Um, so what we got on here is uh, so the three pedals that we're not supplementing are a Mister Black Deluxe, a Mister Black Deluxe Plus, a Mister Black Deluxe Plus Plus. Yes, we have them both on our board right now, and I believe the Catalan Bread Gal- Galileo. Uh, at the time that we got that, that was uh, going over a hundred dollars. Uh, the remaining seven pedals are a, uh, I believe the brand is Black Cat uh, Hex Fuzz, um, an Ibanez Roadkill Distortion, a nine volt pedals uh, Home Run King Comp, um, TC, a TC Electronic Dark Matter, a uh, VO pedals Majesty. Uh huh. Um, a Joyo 
some kind of green Joyo compressor. Um, BYOB compressor, is that what it's called? I don't know. And a Behringer digital delay. Right. Uh, so that rounds out the list. Um, anyway, if you got some pedals that have like a $100 used value just laying around and you want to try your luck, uh, let us know. Shoot us an email at 60cyclehomecast at gmail.com. We'll get you an address to ship it to. Yeah. Uh, if you aren't sure, you can check out our Facebook group. The Facebook group is 60 Cycle Hum. No, it's just, I think, 60CH. Wheel of Pedals. Wheel of Pedals. If you search for Wheel of Pedals in Facebook, you're going to find the group. No, just kidding. It's 60 Cycle Hum Wheel of Pedals. The junkyard is 60CH. Oh, yeah. All this mixed branding we have. Yeah. Uh, good good job, Ryan. <laughs> um, and I am not sure what the direct URL is uh, for the site. Um, but if you look up 60 Cycle Hum it will probably come up as one of them. Yeah. And for people who are new, who aren't sure what we're talking about, basically the wheel of pedals is this little shelf with pedals on it. There's 10 slots. You send us a pedal. We spin a wheel on my phone and it randomly selects which slot you're going to swap pedals with. So you will win every single time. Uh, like we said, we're trying to sweeten up the board to get everything up to a hundred dollar value or at least a hundred dollar value. Uh, so yeah, go check out the Facebook group, get educated on it, uh, ask questions and we'll answer them. Uh, it'd be neat to see it pick up again, but I have to be honest when I say that I don't mind the little break that we've had. Yeah. It saves us some time uh, on recording days. And it means that I haven't had to think very hard about shipping. Exactly. Steve's not shipping every week and making kids sad when their pedals don't come back to them for weeks and weeks. Shut up. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get into the regular episode, I guess. Yeah, this first ad is sent to us by Danny Wood. Uh, this is a Stardocaster. Uh, That's what the ad says. It's in Orem, Utah. This guitar is obviously electric, and is and it's definitely a genuine Fender. Comes That's w- the best obviously smelling I've ever uh, seen. Comes with case and tuner. It's in excellent shape, ready for a new home. This is a Fender Stardocaster. Uh, it's got that big Starcaster. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's a Starcaster, you know, from, from Walmart or Costco, Costco or whatever. Yeah. It's a Kirkland, uh, Kirkland brand Stratocaster. Kirkland brand Stratocaster. Did you see that Kirkland pedal that JHS did? For John Mayer? Yeah. Yeah. The double I, boost? I, that's brilliant. I wonder if that's going to be... Uh, a uh, standard line a pedal eventually. I feel like they couldn't make that a standard line. No, pedal. they can't. That's a one off for sure. I mean, uh, they could they could make they could sell that pedal circuit a double boost, right? Right, but they couldn't sell it as a Kirkland signature. No, there's no way. It's probably just too too. Uh, what is it like the? It's the actual uh, logo, Mister Magic or whatever. There, I forget what the right, boost right. is called. So anyways, back to this guitar. The thing that I love about this ad is that he spelled it start Startocaster. Yeah. Which is basically what these guitars are. They're starter guitars. Yeah, starter starter you buy Startocaster. Them, you buy these $89 like starter packs at Costco or Walmart or Target or wherever. And then you sell them on uh, whatever the heck this is for almost $275. Yeah, two for 275 This guy, he he doesn't know what he has. He thinks he has a Stratocaster. Yeah. He doesn't know that this is a well, budget it's, line and it's model. Obviously, yeah, obviously spelled A V V I O U S L Y. 
this most creative spelling of obviously I've ever seen. And I am a famously bad speller. So the fact that I'm getting yeah, a kick out are. of it is pretty incredible. Um, other than that, there's really nothing else funny no, or interesting I, about this ad. Uh, you know, it's just one of these like ridiculously guy has no idea what he has scenarios. Um, I don't, I, you know, I, I know every once in a while I come across these and I, part of me wants to like hit him up and be like, dude, no. Yeah. And part of me is just like, you know what? Like eventually they're going to realize why they're not selling. Yeah. I what guess. if he does end up selling it for two seventy five? <laughs> Someone sees it like, yeah, you know what? I'll go get it. Did you see that Goodwill guitar somebody posted in the group this week? No. Somebody posted a Goodwill Telecaster, Fender Telecaster, and it had like a 50s neck plate on it. What? But everything else about the guitar was like screaming, fake relic, hack job. I mean, it was a skunk stripe rosewood neck. Oh, okay. Uh, the the trust rod hole was wrong. The fender logo was clearly a decal. Oh yeah. I remember you know, seeing all that. these yeah. different things. And somebody said it ended up auctioning for like $4,000. What? It start And the thing, and people are like, well, you know, I go back and forth because on the one hand, people are saying like Goodwill shouldn't even have this up. Like it's all, it's, this would qualify as counterfeit. And I get that. But Goodwill also started the auction as they do most of their auctions at like not eight ninety nine, right? So it's like people. I don't know if people looked at it and they thought like, I guess in the best scenario, somebody looked at this and said, if this if the body it just the body yeah is correct. And maybe like the pickups are correct because I get like the knobs were wrong. Right. The switch was wrong. The bridge was wrong. There's so much wrong, but it's like, oh, maybe if the body and the pickups were original, then it it might be worth like 4,000, like just those parts. That's a big gamble. Um, But, you know, everything else about it was like very clearly wrong. Interesting. Um, So, I mean, I don't know. I'd love to talk to the guy who bought it. Yeah. And people are like, oh, well, should we message Goodwill and be like, you're selling something counterfeit? Should we try to figure out how to contact the buyer? And hey, you're like, selling something counterfeit. Send it to me and I'll properly dispose of it. Yeah. <laughs> Just to be safe, you know. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's it, crazy uh, that it sold for 4K. Yeah. When I looked at it, it there was like maybe 24, 36 hours left and it was at like 1900. Sheesh. Uh, I was just like, is that, a, that's got to be it typo and i mean they just advertised it as like fender telecaster yeah this is what the serial number says it, there wasn't anything people at goodwill have to be freaking out right now yeah, they're, they're like what happened here yeah uh, you know it, there wasn't anything I, you know i don't know how goodwill like the goodwill auction site works i don't know if goodwill has people who are like experts in the things on like right. higher priced items like that or if they just went like uh it's a guitar it says fender on it must be fender all right. Yeah. Just put it on the website. Yeah. Take take the five photos and put it on the website. So uh, I don't know. Uh, it's just kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, I guess so. It is a little interesting, isn't yeah. it? All right. Do we want to tackle this first topic? Steve? Yep. Uh, so the guy from In the Blues, yeah, the YouTube channel and also podcast. Um, they have a podcast too. They have a podcast. I haven't listened to it. But that's fine. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners do listen to yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, this was sent to us by uh, Chris Carter from Carter's Talk Tone. Yeah, he posted it on the group. Um, so he posted this video just explaining that he's not going to be doing 
demo work anymore. He's yeah. just going to focus on generating original content and doing like versus videos where like this piece of gear versus another. Right. And he, he was making, did you watch it, Steve? No, he still didn't watch it. He no. was making the point that the markets become saturated. There's, you know, a million guys out there like me who are making yeah. demo videos and paid demo videos. And they're just like, no one's learning anything from them. And he was saying that he's, his chops has suffered. He's not a good as good guitar player anymore because he's focused more on the gear than he is on his playing. That's interesting. And it's like this little rant. And if anything, I feel like your chops have probably gotten better because you have to actually focus yeah. on like executing yeah. instead of just like until you get to the last I know the difference the last forty five seconds that's, I do no- the noodling. that's noodle noodle time. Yeah. Uh I've gotten better at recognizing when I'm playing poorly now. And I know to go back and correct it. Right. Where like earlier in my demos, I would record a bunch of stuff and then get on the computer and start editing it and be like, wow, this is so much of this is garbage. Yeah. But I can I can detect it much better in in real time now, which is nice. Yeah. So what did you think of because uh, it seems like there's kind of a mixed review set in our group. What did you get out of the video? I mean, this. I looked at his channel. And this guy's got like, like sixty thousand followers. Yeah, on, he's got a lot. So he's, he's got a lot for like an independent. For I don't know if the, if they're connected to anything in Australia. Yeah, I mean, but, if I had sixty thousand followers, I would not be quitting the demo game. I'd say that. Sure. But he's not legit quitting. He's just quitting doing paid demos. I think so. Right. Maybe he's hit a place where he's making enough money doing other things. Where he's just like, I want to try making my own content and do unpaid content. It's up to him, man. If he's figured it has something figured out and he knows what he wants to do, then he should do it. Like, I don't care if he does demo videos more or not. Sure. Uh, but I don't know. What, what are your, what's your takeaway, Steve? Well, you know, I mean, you didn't even watch it. Things. I didn't watch it. Uh, it seems like the reaction is kind of like, Hey, he's just going to go do his own thing. Um, I mean, the bottom line is, like you said, like this is a guy who uh, is looks like he's maybe averaging like four to five thousand views a video, depending on the content. Um, but and it doesn't actually look like his uh, demo, his like product demos, are necessarily ones that get a lot of views. So maybe that's part of it. Is like. He's just when, not getting a lot he puts of in, traction. When he puts in the work to do one, it's just not getting the kind of traction that like something that's more of an educational video. So, for example, like here, here's a couple demos. Um, one of them has 3.7 thousand, so 3,700 views, and the other one has 1,700 views. But then he has another video called The Number One Most Common Overdrive Pedal Mistake that has 50,000 views. Right. And he's got another like demo that's got 1500 views followed by how to get a great tone from a fuzz pedal that has 6500 views he's got some versus ones obviously with verses like you get double traction because you're exactly you're hitting two things so maybe he's looking at it and he's like i'm getting way more traction on this other kind of content and i'm not getting paid directly by the manufacturer but i'm i'm making enough money off of YouTube that it's worth it to me and i mean for what it's worth like we we've kind of talked about this and we've Try to make time to do it. It's harder. It's a little harder. Um, but, you know, it's like we do or you do a lot of like demo work, but there's also you've also been doing more shootout stuff. Yeah, that is kind of demo, but it's it's also it's that versus format. And, you know, we've been trying to 
at least have like on the back burner like ideas like the best shoe the best shoe for praise right right the best pedal board shoe the best you know things that are kind of goofy things that fit our brand yeah kind of like riding on the edge of entertainment right so so that's kind of like the same thing where he's looking at like that there's you can make demos but it sounds like he just kind of wants to get more into like the education side of the gear world where he feels like he's not just informing like this is a fuzz pedal. This is this new fuzz pedal. This is what it sounds like. Right. Hooray. Um, and more into like, this is a fuzz pedal that I like. Here is an ex- Here are some examples of songs that I use them on. Yeah. Like where it's, m- it's more educational. It's just diversifying. And, and I, I th- do think that maybe it's, to me, it seems a little odd to just be straight up like I'm not doing demos anymore because there's too many people doing them. But I also understand at the same time, like the vibe of like, if I really want to go all in on like changing the direction of what I'm doing, then part of that is going to have to be like cutting out something. Yeah. You know, in order to focus more on something else. So that makes sense to me. I mean, demos take um, up time for sure. Yeah. I Now, do I think that there are too many people doing demos. I don't know. I, I, when a new piece of gear comes out, I don't necessarily like go on a mad hunt for it, but offhand, like I don't think I can think of more than uh, a dozen or so, maybe like a half dozen or a dozen people who, when a pedal comes, when a new pedal comes out, that could be like, all right, these are the people who are already going to do it. Right, know? right. So I don't know if there's really that much saturation. Uh, as much as we say, oh, there's art, there's there's a lot of saturation. People, people do say like there's there's an overwhelming number of demos. There's but, an overwhelming number of products right now. Yeah, there are that, so I mean, many pedals true. like constantly hitting the market. I th- I think it feels like there's too many. May, there, to him, it might feel like there's too many demos because there's too many products. Right. So, so I guess I'm thinking of like, depending on the product, I mean, if you went out and looked for uh, Chase Bliss Tonal Recall, I don't know how many actual demos of that pedal there are from that, that are people where I'm like, oh, yeah, legitimately, like, that's, that's something I want to check out. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm just completely mistaken that's definitely uh possible let's see let's find out little experiment chase bliss tonal recall so knobs uh that pedal show another knobs one pro guitar shop curtis kent chicago music exchange another knobs one Mm -hmm. knobs again knobs Uh, loves them coffee and riffs mike herman's uh andy othling reverb vintage king Sound on Sound Magazine. So, like, these are really all ones I've kind of all, already heard of. And then there's us all the way at the bottom. Of course. Um, even super happy, awesome, super fun, awesome, happy time show. I can never remember how to say the name of the show. <laughs> um, they have one that's got 6.3 thousand views. So, um, but these are all, like, a lot of the the people who I'm used to seeing. Brett Kingman. And literally, like, if I just go by brands, one, two, three... Four, five, uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, 
14, like we're the 14th highest on this list. That's not bad. So I, I say we're the 14th highest brand. Like Knobs is on there five times. So we're really like, the, right. we're really like the 19th highest video. Yeah. I actually want to do more videos of the tonal recall um, and the ground. But, and, and my point isn't that my point is that like, isn't to be like, Oh, look, we're this high up, but it's like, it's that, that pretty much I feel like hits everybody yeah. who I expected. It. It's the big brands, PGS, Reverb, uh, Chicago Music Exchange. Um, I mean, at this point, you if know, you, obviously like yeah. Chase Bliss putting out their own video, like that's one of them. If you're a guitarist on the internet and you don't know about the Tonal Recall, then you don't want to know about it. <laughs> right? Like, you're not. Right. You're not in those in those scenes. And I so guess. there's probably other pedals where it's like if you look for a demo of a Big Muff, you're gonna probably find like a billion. A hundred of them, but but I think for most people, there. But then you do shootouts. You do a certain big muff against another certain big muff. Then you've really narrowed it down. You mm-hmm. know. So I don't I don't know if I'd say it's saturated, but if every video is ten minutes long and you're subscribed to ten pedal channels, and when a new pedal comes out, every one of those channels gets it. Yeah, you're looking at like two hours. That's almost something two I've hours been trying to focus on. I hit up a bunch of builders a while back, and it's like. What to you is like the ideal length for a demo that you pay right. for? And because I wasn't it like four minutes. Yeah, I've defaulted in the past to like trying to get as much time as I can out of each pedal and like yeah. try to show everything. But yeah, like people were like, "Oh yeah, it's like four minutes, five minutes max," and it like completely changed the way I approach demos now. I, I think something that could be beneficial, and this is like channel building, it would be to do like to do like a product demo. Four minutes, uh-huh. four or five minutes, whatever. If you're trying to pare the format down, and then do a longer form on that, where the, yeah, that would be like more of a conversational, exactly something. I like again, that would be something where like if I had more free time, or if you wanted yeah. to set something up, something that would just be off the cuff. I want to do like I've, I've done been doing these these videos where it's like it shows me in the frame talking. Right. I want to do videos. Because I was covering some guitars and covering amps and things like that. I do some videos where like I put together that little board that I have and like here's like three amp sounding pedals that I like mm-hmm. and just like play around with them a little bit. And like, yeah, this auxiliary content that's not paid, maybe it's with products that I was paid to demo and I want to do follow-ups on them now that I've learned things about using the product, you know. So yeah. Follow-up content like that. I'd really like to get into that. Um, I've been so busy lately. I got a good amount of steam going and a good momentum going doing things like that and then i just got slammed with outside work like work that's not gear related and so that's been taking me away for the past couple of weeks unfortunately yeah. um but yeah i th- i think this is really interesting i think uh the demo culture in the guitar world is is really interesting and unique and it'll be interesting to see where it ends up in the yeah. future like are other guys going to drop out if they feel the same way as this in the blues guy. Who knows? You Maybe. Know? I mean, like I said, I think it just depends on what you want to develop. I, I would. I'm a little surprised because this guy's one of the original ones. Right. He's been I'm around su- for a long time. I'm surprised that he's been around for so long and only has 60,000 subscribers. Right. Like we've been around for a couple of years and we're coming up on 5,000, I think. Yeah. Um. Well, 60,000 is like 12 times more than 5,000. Right. But here's the thing. We've had over a thousand of that in the past three months. Right. Like we've, right. we've hit like this thing where like there's like the the algorithm is hitting us just right. And yeah. we're suddenly getting way more views and way more subscriptions. Yeah. And so it's like this 
you know, big curve that's happening in our subscription. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the same amount of years that we're on, that we have more than him after that amount of time. But we Maybe. also have a lot. We started with an audience before doing the demos, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. We, um, we worked our way up from the bottom. We started at the bottom. We did start at the bottom. Now we're here. Yeah. All right. Let's tackle another ad. Well, In the Blues has a th- almost 2,000 videos. Yeah, that's the other thing. They have so much content. I feel like, I mean, we've got around 200 videos now, right? Um, something like that? Something like that. 37 million views. That's crazy. On In the Blues. That is wacky. That is so crazy. We have 180 videos. 4,661 subscribers, and we have 613,000 views. Those are big numbers, in my opinion. Fancy that. All right, uh, let's get to this uh, this this next ad. Um, this is called... Basket uh, Case. Basket Case. Oh, you know what? I, while we're talking about videos, everything that we make is like fairly high quality, lighting and everything. Um, my new computer has a built-in webcam. Okay. It's pretty... I, I don't know how bad the quality really is. I think it's supposed to be like, okay, except the lighting in my room is so bad. But um, I, I almost... I don't want to do anything that would cost us subs, but I almost wonder if we, we could get away with just like weird midnight vlogs. Oh, absolutely. Like the just low quality, bad light where I'm just like, hey guys, uh... Uh, here's a riff I learned today. <laughs> no, I don't think you should get on and play, Steve. But I think if you got on, you know, your 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 uh, your webcam and did some rants, oh my I think that would be fun for the channel. Just do uh, just do every time something is going crazy on the internet about some new piece of gear, just get on there and drop like three minutes on like, look, guys, like the Strymon Sunset. That would have been a perfect moment. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, let's get back to the ads. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. This ad is. Uh, we called it free termites. Well, I called it free termites, uh, but it actually uh, is says basket case, nineteen sixty eight Fender Music Master Bass, free termites, seventy five dollars. Uh, this was sent to us by Fred Banana. Thanks, Fred. Fred. Uh, this is a sad. Yeah, Add. would make a great epoxy resin coffee table. I'd love to do it. Just no time for it. It's been in the weather for several decades. <sighs> Case has hinges hardware, includes neck plate and bridge. Neck is straight. Tuners are locked up. I have the missing frets. Talk to me. I the- want to know. I want to hear the story about why this was outside for decades. <sighs> like, did it get left somewhere? Like someone had a picnic and they brought their music man base and they just forgot to take it home and it left sitting against a tree in a clearing in the woods Maybe somewhere. It was for like in a barn with that had a hole in the ceiling or something. Or someone like hung it on the outside of a building as like a, a decoration. But it looks like that looks like buried under dirt rot. Yeah. Um the body is just basically gone yeah uh the fretboard is missing looks like frets 12 through maybe 15 it looks like it's missing the ninth fret too uh well i'm saying like it's full-on missing fretboard oh yeah absolutely uh, there's a chunk of fretboard and missing. yeah it's also missing like the entire 11th fret and maybe the entire 
I would. I think that's the eighth fret is yeah. entirely missing. But you're not going to miss a portion of a fret. A whole fret's just going to fall out. Right. Right. Um, I bet you those other frets are on the edge of just like plinking out too. Yeah. Uh, but this is very clearly Fender. Like you can see the logo. Oh, yeah. Um, this is the style of case that would have been with. I believe would have come with this kind of bass. But why would the guitar be in so much worse con- condition than the case? I think the case is aftermarket for the situation. Really? Yeah. Cause the case is in pretty sad shape. Not that sad though. Like yeah. this guitar was out in the weather. This case might've been the guitar was outside the barn. The car, the case might've been inside the barn. You know? Right. Right. I, I don't know. This, this is a, bummer it's a big bummer because this is a cool guitar yeah this uh so if this was in minto this is probably worth between a thousand uh eight hundred and twelve hundred dollars maybe as high as 15 i could be wrong uh maybe it's way more than that but that is what i'm guessing um i yeah i wonder what the story is on it i wonder if this you know what this could be is one of those things where it's like you know dad wanted to learn bass and so he bought one and he started he was like i said playing in the shed or whatever yeah and then you know life caught up so he left it out there and just never went back he caught covered with newspapers or something like that and just like sat in the corner for decades it's a bummer man it's a huge bummer because that's such a i mean it's not like you know they're still relatively affordable you can still go get one uh, for, like you were saying, like a thousand, couple thousand, something yeah. like that. But it's still like, ah, uh, it's just sad to see guitars functionally ruined. Like there's guitars yeah, there's not nothing, coming back. There's nothing. Well, like so the, um, I'll say the neck, if you just had like the most competent re- guy ever could probably rebuild that. You neck. think it's, you think it's ever going to be straight? No, maybe, probably. No, nah, you're right. It's probably way too waterlogged. Um, but the body or is... too dry. You yeah. never know. I'm guessing it's it's waterlogged. But the body just looks like pulp. The body's. I'm just surprised gone. it's holding up in the case as it is because it looks like it's just going to crumble if you touch it. Like you find an old log in the woods and you step on it and the whole thing just like crumbles underneath you. Like yeah. that's what we're looking at. So here's at here. a 1972 that sold for $722. Um, a later 70, 70s one that sold for 600 Uh, So yeah, it looks like that, like the upper, um, upper hundreds range is kind of what we're looking at on this. Yeah. Either way, I mean, even the cheaper, I'll say even the the less desirable vintage instruments, uh, it's sad to see them get ruined. Get ruined. And get ruined by neglect. Yeah. You know, this isn't a situation where you can say, you know, it's like, oh, why would you install a... EMGs on a right, 1965 right. Why did you, Mustang. Or why whatever. did you refinish that gold top Les Paul? Right, you know? where there's things where it's like, well, you know, maybe in the era when all that work was done, it just nobody cared. Yeah, this is one where it's just like, or you know, the op, or the you know, here's every Green Day, Nirvana, whatever guitar player story, which is you know, yeah, I had this guitar. I didn't know what it, like I, I my parents got it for me. I smashed it on stage like twice a yeah. month. 
What if whatever. this is a Goonies situation? What if someone found secret pirate treasure and this was like sitting there, like being held by a skeleton? Oh, and geez. there was like it was this one of those Indiana Jones style, like rotted, like moist, like uh, mummies in the crypt somewhere. And the guy had to pull the guitar out of the skeleton's prying hands oh, and he God. brought it home. You know, that would be a fun story. And then the boat started falling apart. Yeah, and then the boat started falling apart. Or then like the, the, the side of the mountain opened up and then it sailed out in the ocean. And everyone saw the ghost ship sailing away without the guitar because the guitar had a curse on it. <laughs> okay. I'm coming up with my own narrative here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, I don't know. It's a bummer. You guys check out the picture. It'll be linked to in the show notes. Yeah. Or don't, if you don't want to be sad, then don't look at the picture. That's yeah. what it comes down to. Cause this will make you sad. Uh, do we want to talk, tackle, uh, this next topic? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, this was sent in by Carlos Elias, uh, or Elias. Thanks for sending this. Uh, he says, what's a good way to get into recording? Uh, would it be better to get a decently cheap mic and recording setup, or are you better off going the DI route if it's your first time diving into this? Um, well, I will say, based on the tracks we played last week, if you're just looking at recording guitar and uh, you've got a Mac with GarageBand... Uh, it sounds pretty good. Going DI is not necessarily the worst route to go. And There's and it, a lot of options these days, for sure. Personally, um, I've always gone the microphone and basic interface route. Uh-huh. Uh, you can get a simple like two-channel interface for like a hundred bucks, one hundred and fifty bucks. You can get a passable mic. Like uh, I mean, even the mics that we use for the show, uh, the MXL, whatever this is, nine ninety. Uh, I'm not. I wouldn't use that for guitar mic. I've used it for guitar. You can, but I wouldn't. I've used it for acoustic guitar. I've used it for electric. I would use guitar. it for acoustic. Like yeah. it, you can mic an amp with this. It, yeah, yeah, it works. It, uh, I mean, what you get, you get the old standby an SM58. Yeah, yeah, 58s and 57s work really decently, and it's just a sound that everyone is used to. Um, what I've been hot on for a while, uh, Leon from Pelican Noiseworks uh, sent me down this track. Um, is the the Fathead uh, ribbon mics by Cascade? Right, and they're not super cheap. But as far as like studio microphones go, like they're completely accessible. I think they're like two hundred bucks or something like that. I was able to get, snag a refurbed one, not refurbed, but a blim one. It has like a little blim in the in the uh, in the chrome piece on it. I don't remember what I paid. I think it was like one hundred twenty five or something like that. But they're great for miking amps. They give you this full signal that you can, if you want to, you can really play around with the EQ and get exactly what you want. You don't lose anything. They kind of just sound, what I found is they just sound the way that your ear sounds. Like I record with those, I record the amp and then I go and I, I mix it moments later and it sounds over my speakers the same way it did when I was in the room with the amp. So that's really what I look for in a mic when I'm working with guitar amps now. But yeah, the DI thing works great too. I mean, do we need to set criteria on this? Like, what is a budget rig? What is a good starter rig? Or like, I don't know. What is, what is the budget? I mean, there's so I many. I mean, basic recording is is what it is. I, there's still there's old interfaces that I don't know how good they are, but like a lot of the old like in the inbox, which was yeah. like, uh, a, a modern pretty classic. standard home recording device for a long time. You can get those like dirt cheap now. I think the biggest problem is like hunting down all the cables and everything you yeah, need because yeah. like they run on the old uh, 
like an older USB style. Though I have one of those cables. Yeah, I've got uh, this, this little. Works. I've got this little interface that I use with my computer. Uh, by Artesia is the uh, the piano company that I do work for sometimes. Mm-hmm. The thing works just fine. I don't know what they even charge for them. But it's a little USB powered recording interface. I can plug an XLR in there, or I can plug two quarter inches in there if I want to. And it's just super basic, and I can record direct into GarageBand or any other software with it. Super easy. And this this stuff is all out there, and it's all affordable now. Uh, my main rig for recording guitar for the demos and our podcast right now, this very moment is a field recorder is yeah. the, the zoom H six. It's a little pricey for like a starting rig for someone, but it really gets it done and it gets it done wherever you want to be. And I'm a huge fan of this thing. They're like 300 bucks new or something like that, mm-hmm. but like 300 bucks. I'm talking about like my demo recording rig and podcast recording rig for everything we do is like under a thousand dollars. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. It's totally crazy. Or maybe, or maybe it's why we sound bad <laughs> depending on who you ask. Right. Right. But the difference between how we sound and someone who's like a professional studio guy sounds, I think most of that is skill level and knowledge. <laughs> but then like, I think the, the gear sound is like, you know, like a 10% difference or something like that. Sure. But yeah, there's, I, we're not studio techs. We're not like professional recording guys. We record out of necessity and out of utility and I, we get what we get. So it's like, I don't feel like we're even like qualified to answer this, but then maybe in the spirit of it, we're the perfect people. Yeah. To answer I will it. say that overall, I think, you know, figure out what the baseline mm. gear set is. That's going to get you where you want to go. What you Figure out what you want to accomplish and, and figure out what you want to accomplish and work from there because so much of it and kind of what you're just talking about is knowing how to manipulate. You got a lot of make a lot of mistakes. You know, how, how to make it work in post, how to, you know, balance. One of the things, one of the issues I always run into with recording is either having the signal too hot going in. So everything is like clipped out yeah, yeah. or having it, you know, too, uh, too low going in. So like, I, I don't have a strong enough signal that I can work with it really, because by the time, like I bump the gain up, uh, it's just too compressed to really do anything with the EQ. Um, so I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, setup where it's like the earliest recordings that I made, which isn't to say they were particularly good recordings that I'd ever want to share with anybody, but they were like using Microsoft Sound Recorder. Yeah. Oh, totally. And the or, little the little window with the green like yeah. little like waveform that it would show you, and you just like three buttons like record, um, stop, and play. For years, when I was using Audacity at home, I was just using like, um, like gaming microphones. Yeah. And just like a gaming microphone, like set up, I put it in like the right spot in my room, or like. I t- to so it was far enough away that it wouldn't clip out or like uh-huh. put like a put like a paper towel on top of it or whatever <laughs> to, to like deaden the sound a little. I used to take and, those, and then that was enough to get like a clean a clean signal into Audacity, I used which to, is what I was using, yeah. and then I could manipulate the signal from there. I used to take those pencil microphones. The I think that's what you're talking about is those those computer microphones. And I would take it and drop it directly into the sound hole of my acoustic oh, guitar, gosh. put it inside the guitar, and I would record guitar that way. Right. And it would right. actually it would sound fine in my memory at least. I don't have those files yeah. anymore. Yeah. So um, it probably sounds like garbage now, but I was able to record guitar. It was cool. It really 
I mean, all I can really tell someone who's looking to get into recording is you just got to experiment. Yeah. Like try stuff. And then you can look up the basic information of what other people do. It's, it's helpful to have knowledge of different types of microphones. I mean, basically there's, you know, dynamics and condensers and ribbon mics and, you know, whatever else. Um, there's a lot of great budget options right th- out there right now. We use uh, the MXL 990s and we use this road that I've got for the podcast. Yeah. Um, we, I use 57s and 58s in the past for demos and now I use those ribbon mics. Um, and then I just run it all in a garage. Band. It seems like every few months, like something new comes out. I mean, that, that people fall in love with, whether oh, sure. that's, you know, a few years ago, like the, the blue snowball USB yeah. microphone. And, you know, talking about going direct, you don't even need an interface. There's so many USB microphones out there that'll get the job done. Oh, totally. At least get you into like a decent, uh, you know, skip the interface and just go straight to digital. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of, lots of things about there, I guess. So to recap, I'd say figure out what you want to do, like figure out, do you want to just record yourself playing or do you want to record into a multi-track environment or you want to, you know, have like a field recorder and be able to record wherever, like you need to figure out what your playing environment is going to be, what your recording goals are, figure out, you know, what software hardware setup you need for that. Then figure out what mics you need and then just make music. Yep. Three set process. I got, I should write a book. It'd be one page long. You and your books. I, you know, I'm a well, well-known publisher. Hey, so. speaking of books, uh, this ad was sent in by Aaron Griffith. A variety of good older comic books in mint condition. Picked them up in 1989. And they have been in climate-controlled storage, a.k.a. Mom's House. Huh. Looking to trade for musical equipment, guitars, effects, drum hardware, Gibson Acoustic. Um, how many comic books uh would you want if you had a gibson acoustic and you're going to trade for comic books how many comic books would you expect to get well i think the the question here isn't how many the question is which ones because i know that some older comic books have great value sure or at least did at one point in our history yeah but yeah i i don't want to get like a bunch of milk crates full of you know, random comics, random like Archie comics that aren't worth anything, you know. I don't know. It's, if I was going to go for this deal, I never got into super, I never super got into comics when I was a kid. Like I enjoy cartoons. I enjoy comics in general, but I never got into like buying them and collecting them. Like I, I would like read the Sunday pepper, paper and like throw it away. <laughs> sort yeah. Of thing. Yeah. But I know there's people out there who super nerd out on this stuff, obviously. I still feel like you'd have to be getting like, I don't know, at least a thousand comic books a lot to trade no i'm imagining a pile for sure to trade for a functioning you know gibson acoustic yeah um and the fact that he doesn't call out kind of what he has right i mean if there's some like some specific you know 80s number ones yeah like i don't don't know what comic book characters originated in the 80s but yeah he's got to come out with He's got to give some throw some teasers in here to sell yeah. this. He's got to be like, oh, I've got this one comic, like, and I've got this comic, and this comic, and many others. And they have to be ones that like a comic book nerd would be like, oh shoot, yeah, I got to get this bundle. I'm going to trade my acoustic guitar for this. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I. Uh, that's kind of. 
It's just such a. I mean, like, so for, for it's such a far fetched trade off. And the thing is, is it's like it's all it says is it's in like your mom's, your mom's garage. Yeah. Um, it looks, also known as mom's house. It looks like uh, if you have like a 1988 first print of Batman: The Killing Joke. Uh huh. That's worth like seventy to eighty dollars, maybe even more. Uh, some of the one of them uh, was rated as a nine point eight, like this. It's actually graded uh-huh. at a nine point eight, and apparently sold for a hundred and sixty nine dollars. So even with that, with these, with like some select high value ones or higher value ones, like you have to have a lot of comics here. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of good comics too. Yeah, or it's just not interesting. And I'm trying to see how many. But then I've always kind of turned off. Like I, like I said, I never got into collecting comics, but I feel like if I got a big lot of the of them, I'd want to read them. I'd want to go through them. No, you. But then, like, if you're dealing with collectors' pieces, then I know that they're, they're supposed to stay in the plastic or whatever. Yeah, which is obnoxious to me. You have to wear gloves if you're going to read them in a, like a, in a special room with special lights, and like you have to wear a mask so you don't breathe on it. Yeah, I don't. It's it's goofy. It's. There was a huge boom Ugh. in comics in the 90s, I think. Right. Where, like, there was some guy who came out and said that because the economy was bad, and he was like, oh, you'd be better off investing in comic books because there was some Superman comic book that sold for like a million dollars or something back then. And so people went absolutely nuts and started hoarding comics and starting buying up all the old comics and like putting them in safes and stuff. I knew a kid back in elementary school or high school or whatever. It was like, Oh yeah, my dad's got this, you know, these couple comic books and he keeps them in a safe and they're just, you know, they're going to pay for my college someday. Yeah. And I think that plan like probably, if you have like failed Batman 1939 or yeah, whatever, yeah. or is it like if you have like the first Spider-Man yeah, detective whatever. comics, Batman or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. It's all just kind of whatever. Yeah. Who cares about comic books? That's for nerds. Nerds. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this episode was brought to you thanks to um, Sinusoid. Yep. We like those guys. We do like Sinusoid. And uh, by uh, Mammoth Electronics, who have brought back the Keeley mod. Yep. We also like that. We have a bunch of pedals in from them. Check our YouTube channel to see the demos and uh, you know subsequent reviews and other content that I make with these pedals. Yep. They're this, a bunch of fun. Uh, this week's song was sent to us by um, Kyler Reason, and his band is called Mouthless Mutters. Uh, that's with two T's. M- mutters. Uh-huh. Mutters. Mutters. Not like like animals. Like, like pet. Like dogs. Like mutts. Uh, mut- mutters. Yes. Like mutts. Like when you say something like. Oh, like muttering. Yeah, but okay. without a mouth. I thought it was someone who uh, would do something to mutts to dogs. No. Uh, so anyway. Uh, I've been trying to get Kyler to send us music for like a super long time. So I'm really excited about this. Um, This song is called I Am Afraid. I hope you guys love it. Cool. Later, guys. Bye.